This podcast is brought to you by PencilPay. Take your wholesale account applications online and control when you get paid. Welcome to Product Hub. I'm your host, Tim Dimitriou, and today's guest is Tom Wood. He's the head brewer at Mismatch, a brewery nestled in the Adelaide Hills region that has recently joined the Mighty Craft family. We chat about Tom's career so far, from an assistant brewer at a small craft brewery to much more responsibility as a brewer at Little Creatures, then to the top role, leading the team at Mismatch. Tom's an interesting guy, and this chat really shows that with loyalty, hard work, and the willingness to put a career first, there's still a truckload of opportunities for a young guy. Guys, we've got Tom Wood from Mismatch Brewing. Now, um, Tom's got a pretty, pretty, pretty long history for a, for a, for what seems like a, a pretty young guy in um, in brewing. Um, having had a look at at Tom's background over the last couple of days in preparation, um, he's been across a few different breweries and um, and done a and done quite a few different jobs. So, Tom, do you want to give us a bit of an intro um, about yourself and and really kind of cover off you obviously grew up in south australia it seems and you're kind of a local boy yep. um just run through your kind of um how, how you got into brewing and 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 if you always kind of wanted to be in brewing yeah sure so um probably the the first part to that is whether i wanted to be um from the word go and the answer is no to that um i basically finished school uh, in 2010 and went to university of adelaide to study a bachelor of environmental science um, did honours in environmental biology. So I think my plan really there was to go into the environmental science sort of field. Um, loved being outside, loved sort of working with my hands. So wanted to incorporate something along those lines into some sort of a career. Um, and it was around about probably third year uni where um, homebrewing became a hobby for me. Uh, I actually had a, a late friend whose dad I used to catch up with and family used to catch up with to sort of keep in the loop. Um, and um, yeah, after my good friend passed away at sort of age 16, I used to go around for dinner and, and have some of his home brews. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the first time where I actually, it even really occurred to me that you could make a beer at home. Um, I sort of asked him a few questions and, and he helped me out, did a few brew days with him. And from there, I really pretty much took it um, up on my own and, and did it at home. And um, it sort of went from being a, a slight interest into a, pretty big hobby and then into a, a real passion so um yeah that sort of spiraled relatively quickly out of control um throughout third year union honors um and it was around about then when i actually applied for a role at cooper's um once again not necessarily 100 sure it was what i wanted to do but um a friend sort of uh steered me in the direction when they had a, a cooper's guy come in to one of his lectures um and gave out an email address so i sent off my my cv and went and did an interview down with coopers um and i think there was about 16 of us that they were, they were looking for one role and i i didn't get get the job unfortunately but that was all right so <laughs> but that's sort of where i um decided i think okay this is actually something i really want to pursue um and and do um and so after that um after honors i sort of had a little bit of a, a bit of time to think about what i really wanted to do and which sort of job was really going to start looking at getting and um, I went and did TAFE course at Regency TAFE with Stephen Nelson, which isn't the one I think is offered now, but it was essentially a preparation for the Institute of Brewing and Distilling General Certificate um, with the thought that you would then, that 
the course went for, I think it was two or three weeks. And then right at the end, the RBD exam was there to do as well at, at Regency. Um, I did that whilst I was applying for jobs. Um, didn't apply to too many in the end. It was, I think, Stonerwood and then Bright Brewery. Got, you know, I was in talks with them during that um, and ended up getting a gig up there. So that was that was sort of how I got hey. my way into the industry. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So if you take a step back a little bit, um, obviously you, you you kind of develop a passion for, for brewing kind of third year uni and after that. <clears throat> what did you want to do prior? Did you want to go and, I mean, did you have a, did you have your eyes on a professional career or a trade? Or obviously you're a smart guy. You've gone and done, you've gone and done a science degree at university. So um, what kind of, uh, 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 where did you see yourself when you're kind of coming through high school? Yeah, I think when I was at high school, I was, I was definitely not one of those people who knew what they wanted to do. So I always envied the kids who had this sort of path ahead of them, I suppose, who were like, yeah, I want to be you know, a carpenter. I want to be a sparkier. I want to go and be a doctor or something like that. I, I was never that kid. Um, and school was not necessarily for me somewhere I thrived necessarily. I loved going to school, had lots of mates there, but didn't necessarily, I wasn't top of the class in, in anything. Um, and so originally I actually wanted to be carpenter or go into the trade into building mm-hmm. once again sort of like I said with my working with my hands doing something relatively hands-on um and I sort of dropped that idea around about year 12 um, not for any necessarily particular reason but I just sort of felt like maybe um I wanted to do something a little bit more sciencey or something I've always loved learning so um despite not perhaps being the best high school student in the world learning was something I really and I think you knew once I got into it, I really, really enjoyed that process yep. of learning. Um, and so I think I would have been happy enough doing something in environmental science and and sort of working in that field. I think I, I probably became a little bit jaded in the scientific community going through uni and realizing the reality of it uh, <laughs> in the sense of probably how much research and work goes in, and especially in environmental, how much impact you're able to make. Um, can be sometimes a little bit limited. Um, sure. And so for sure. Yeah, brewing, for sure. Brewing was kind of this perfect mix of learning, science, being hands-on, um, almost trade-like in a, in a way, but something where I could be constantly challenged, which is something throughout my career I've noticed I need to be, I, I need to have a challenge in front of me all the time. So, yeah, that's kind of how I worked through that um, coming out of high school. Yeah, awesome. The um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you about the. Uh, it's very hard when you're coming through university, and I I, I did the same. I I didn't study a science degree, but when you're coming through university, you realise pretty quickly that um, what you thought it was, it never is, and um, and yeah. and, a, and a lot of it is driven by, a lot of it's driven by, <clears throat> I guess, money and politics drives a lot of, especially when you're talking about the sciences, um, with what you can research and and the the impact that you can have. A lot of it's driven by money and politics, and unless you're super passionate about kind of both of those things, it yeah, tends absolutely. to t- tends to be a pretty difficult field. But um, but um, so <clears throat> so you get your degree, you go off and you get a job at Bright um, at, at Bright Brewery. Um, who was that with, and 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 what kind of impact did that have on 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 your 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 learning as well as as well as your career? Yeah, so that was really good. So. I basically just applied. They were um, offering the job for a sort of an assistant brewer, brewer role there. Um, and it was essentially me and one other, Rich Chamberlain, um, who's gone on to do great things in beer as well. Um, we both started on the same day. He came from Mildura Brewery. I came from 
nowhere yep. <laughs> experience-wise. Um, and that was just a really, really good experience in terms of we had a little brew pub there and also building a production facility. So, um, yeah, I really sort of applied, was in Torson for a few weeks and then I got the job and thought, crap, now I need to move into state. So it was it was my first move out of home. Um, so it was a fairly big, big leap of faith in a way, um, but one that I, I knew I needed to do. And I think moving out of SA was, was good in terms of from a brewing career, being able to develop um, as quickly as possible and have as many opportunities as possible. Um, it seemed like a fairly logical step to me. So, um, yeah, the next step was to sort of pack up everything I had and, and move to Little Bright, which is a, a gorgeous, gorgeous part of the world. Yeah, awesome. And then, so um, who, did, who did you work with at Bright? And um, and what kind of impact did they did they have on on your career? Kind of looking back, yeah. So um, the owner of um, of Bright Brewery, Scott, he was he was a big part of. Um, he worked very closely with us in the brewing team. So it was literally in the brew house. It was just Rich and me. But Scott had a lot of involvement, um, and he's particularly passionate about the environmental side mm-hmm. of things. Um, so Bright is extremely environmentally focused. Um, obviously being very close to nature up there, but also with big solar systems and, and Scott looking at every little way he can be as environmentally friendly as possible, whether that was down to reusing cartons in the brew pub. So the guys that were six packs out as they sold and we would literally go and tape them up and um, do things like that just to try and minimize our impact as much as possible. So Scott was big for for that and guiding me in, in sort of making year and being in manufacturing as responsibly as possible um and then on the brewing side rich was a very technical um brewer which is exactly what i've tried to sort of mold myself into and and, um go down that more sort of technical aspect or or path i suppose there's um obviously a fairly creative artistic side to brewing but there's also the technical aspect in that he was extremely good at that so um yeah he influenced me in a big way in terms of the way i i make beer um but yeah so and obviously making beer at scale which is what you what you i guess really at the end of the day commercially you kind of have to have to do you you obviously need to be pretty technically strong to be able to recreate um what you're what you're making at at, you know in real volumes yeah, absolutely. And I think Bright and Mismatch as well um, are both breweries that focus on their core range a lot. And so consistency and repeatability is really, really important. There's beers that you're known for that people need to be able to open, you know, three months apart and have it taste exactly the same. So, mm. um, yeah, you can you can have a brewery where you're brewing something different every day and maybe that consistently matters a little bit less. But, um, yeah, for, for most of the breweries I've worked out that, that technical excellence and that consistency um, of process has been really, really important. Um, and yeah, that's the sort of stuff that, that excites me as well. So yeah, it's definitely been a theme throughout all the breweries I've been at. Yeah, awesome. And then obviously from Bright, you make a really big shift and you go uh, and work with uh, little creatures, and then yep. um, you know obviously it gets it gets snapped up into 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 part of line throughout that process, no doubt. Um, run me through the differences um, that you saw when you left Bright, obviously a smaller operation than Little Creatures, um, and then going into you know a larger, more established brewery like Little Creatures. Yeah, it was a really big change. So it was also probably happened slightly early. I think pretty much every stage that I've moved on to has happened maybe twice as quickly as I anticipated. Which is a good um, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's exactly that, exactly how I like it. Um, I'm in a pretty pretty nice place um, right now. But when I moved from Bright, um, 
the shift of volume was of a sheer scale. I mean, you you walk into, you know, from brewing on a on a one thousand liter brew house, and then you walk past twenty thousand liters, and it was just a sheer, completely different looking beast. Yeah. Um, but also, the attention and and focus on quality and consistency and process. Um, even though we were probably quite technical at Bright for a small brewery compared to some others, um, it was just another level up in terms of how closely things were tracked and also how specified or specialist people's roles were. So um, you might move from sort of doing at Bright, I was doing everything from milling grain all the way through to washing kegs and packaging. Um, little creatures you know a brewer will spend a year or two on just the brew house making work or just in packaging um and so people were were fairly highly specialized very very highly trained um the standard was very high um and the standard of beer coming out was extremely high and and under sort of a meticulous microscope both figuratively and literally (laughs) um, all of the time so um yeah that was a really really great experience and got to you know, was able to spend time in White Rabbit with the Barrel Hall in the Little Creatures side in microbiology um, to, to sort of get a real sort of broad experience, I suppose, but in, in a lot of detail in each role as well. Yeah, the, um, the, I'd imagine the culture shock from a, just from a business operational standpoint, let alone, uh, let alone the, I guess, the, the art and science of, of brewing, um, just separately, the sheer size and scale of the operation with, you know, people in different roles and obviously different uh, different departments and all that type of thing. How did you um, how did you deal with that that kind of shift from a you know kind of more of a we'll call it a family style operation where you're small team um, up to a, a, a you know heavily corporatized business, which no doubt by that stage our little creatures was. Yeah, absolutely. There was it was very much line by the time I got there, and the transition was probably daunting at the start in the sense of for the, the big one was the language used so I remember going to the first first sort of team meetings I suppose that they, they had on a daily basis and I I reckon 80% of the words used were an acronym that I had no idea what it meant <laughs> yeah. um, and so just getting used to that was, was a big thing in terms of just the language how how people communicate and also line being um, I would consider quite progressive in the way that um, they operate um, from even the language used. So, you know, not a single mention of human resources. It was always people and culture and it was always about <laughs> people and, and changing um, in a good way. It changed my perception on sort of how we can associate with people um, and interact with people and sort of how we treat um, employees rather than being a number. Um, yep. You know, we really were. Uh, individuals with, with individual strengths. So being in a much bigger team and seeing that was really, really good um, and definitely shaped the way sort of I probably manage people now. Um, at Creatures, I never clocked on. I was never, you know, punching a number in in the morning and having every minute of my day tracked. It was, it was really good from that culture piece. Um, yep. And sort of what was expected of a brewer at Little Creatures was quite different in terms of responsibility. Um there was a fair bit on a, on a brewer's shoulder at Creatures. Um, and I think that was great for, for my development personally. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a definitely a big culture change, not just because of the scale and the size, but also because um, the way that the brewers are expected to operate. Uh, digging into the, the, um, the, the kind of uh, roles and responsibilities a little bit more, um, I think that's pretty interesting. So the, the obviously 
a huge um, uplift in, in terms of what, in terms of your responsibility and, and the, and no doubt the quality that would have been expected. Um, you know, no doubt Bright's, Bright's quality is, is up here, but um, you go into a much more corporatized business. It, it just has to be further up. Can you give me the, um, can you give me a bit more detail about, about that, um, the, the kind of responsibilities that you would, you would have to undertake that were different to, to a smaller brewer? I think, the reason why I ask is the whole audience for this podcast is is brewers and um, brewers yep. at, at businesses of all different sizes. So um, just understanding that a bit deeper would be really valuable for for the audience. Yeah, for sure. So I think from a responsibility point of view, besides the fact that I mean, let's use the packaging hall for example, and you know they're packaging say half a million liters a week, which is more than Bright did nearly in a year at that point. Um, so there's obviously a lot of beer on the line, but yep. in terms of the sort of expectation or the standard of, of brewer, besides sort of running, you know, a machine and when it breaks, sort of stepping away and just waiting for someone to come fix it whilst we had trades and everything, there was a lot more problem solving. We were expected to do the problem solving, the root cause analysis. Um, we were working on improvement projects, process improvement projects throughout um, our time there. So. Um, you know, you might be on the brew house brewing every day, but in the background, you've got an improvement project for how we can uh, keep barrel stock separate from from normal beer, or it might be a safety project, or it could be about you know brew house efficiency, or, or whatever it might be. Some of those more probably where you would in a even bigger brewery, say like Tui's, might have a technical brewing team. A lot of the a lot of the little creatures brewing team um, took on a lot of that project work. Um, and that was really, really good. That gave us the ability to a, sort of focus on maybe something different to what we were doing on shift, but also gave us the skills to actually work through those processes and, you know, how does a, a project go from start to finish? How do we solve these complex problems? Um, and we were provided with a lot of tools from Lion um, to, to allow us to do that effectively and efficiently. Um, yeah. yeah. At the extra, so with the extra breadth of the role and the responsibilities, um, we look at the smaller breweries, and it's interesting. Your your background's really interesting because um, you know two of the breweries that actually I think it was our first two podcasts, um, both breweries, both um, both founders of the breweries, um, and and also um, and also brewers at one point came from a science background, and they both did science at science at university. So um, it's funny that it's funny that you came from that background, but. But um, switching up the the type of um, product that you're producing, obviously there's business as usual, and you produce your you know your beer at at, at scale and volume, um, be it you know the the standard IPA or something like that. But then you need to go and switch up if you've got um, certain beers that are that are going to be on for a short period of time. Like um, I don't know, you probably at Bright you may have done a, a few more of those because you've got a little bit more flexibility. But did you do much of that type of stuff at Little Creatures? Like um, you know, a certain brews for certain times of year and all that type of thing? Yeah, quite a bit. And Creatures was probably different again from a production point of view compared to, let's say, two years again as an example. It was Lion's Innovation Brewery to a degree and White Rabbit was a massive part of that um, as well, which is on the same site. But um, we would have easily worked through maybe 30 or 40 new products a year easily. Um, and they, they might be one-off beers um, for different brands. Even the regular sort of skew mix would have been up in the high teens, maybe the low 20s. Um, and there would have been a new product coming through at least, you know, once or twice a month 
um, whether it was in white rabbit or in little creatures. Um, so there was still a lot of new product development. There was a lot of um, trialing and even working with other breweries such as Brooklyn. Um, I was part of a project to get Brooklyn Bel Air Sour into to white rabbit and that involved a lot of translating gallons and pounds of hops from, yep. from the rest. Um, and, you know, doing emulations, making sure beers were tasting right before we signed contracts and, and got beer out the door under other brands. So there was, there was also a lot of that as well. Yeah, it's interesting. How would you, um, how, to, how to be able to um, train your palate to be able to, 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 be able to um, kind of match them up perfectly and be able to produce what they produce over there? Um, I'd imagine that would have been quite a, quite a daunting task. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. I think the, the biggest sort of um, thing we're able to do at a brewery that size is run pretty complete analysis from a numbers point of view on the, on the beers. And we know our process and our brew houses enough that we, we know we can very confidently get those numbers on the head uh, mm-hmm. with our process. And then, like you said, it's about going to sensory after that. And a lot of the time it was involving um, some of the team in the US or wherever the, the parent brewery was um, to sign off on it. Um, from a sensory point of view, but we, we were fairly confident in our process in the sense that we could analyze a beer they give us um, down to the nth degree and then translate that into a recipe that we can put through our system and be very, very confident that at least the numbers that come out the other end are going to be very, very close and hopefully the beer is as well um, from a sensory point of view. So once again, understanding that process really, really well allows us to emulate 20 brands in a year with, with a pretty high degree of confidence. And would you start with the with the exact same raw materials? So obviously the the the, the base level materials are pretty important to getting that finished product. Um, yep. Would you would you use the exact same materials, or would you use Aussie versions of their of their materials? It, do, it would depend a little bit on the beer. A lot of the time, if they were if there were special ingredients, let's say Canadian malted oats, we would go and grab exactly the same uh, malted oats from exactly the same maltster. Um, and try to replicate it that way as best we could. Some of our base malt might remain the same if it was. Uh, let's say a big double IPA where um, the base malt might sort of play a much more secondary role in the overall character of the beer. Um, we could get away with it, but a lot of the time, if um, say Panhead from New Zealand wanted exactly this recipe and exactly this malt, we would go and get it. Um, and once again, being in a company as big as Line, getting that, getting your hands on those raw materials is is a fair bit easier. Uh, in a, at a lot of times um, than it is if you're smaller, you know, you have that purchasing power and you have the ability to go and grab exactly what you need um, when you need it as well, which is super important. So a lot of the time it was, you know, the easiest way to at least be close to emulating their product is to use the same raw materials um, and we'd do that where we could. And you've obviously got people that can source it for you, which is, you know, which is the, that's no doubt pretty time consuming if you don't have all of those existing uh, existing contacts in place, which probably line probably do. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I saw in the second half of your your journey at Little Creatures um, and Lion that um, you you, you focus more on the kind of the uh, microbiology side of things. Can you run me through exactly what microbiology is um, re- relating to beer production, and then kind sure. of what really the the detail of what you um, of what you did in that in that particular role? Because I think that'd be quite interesting. Yeah, for sure. So the way I got into the micro role was Rhiannon, our microbiologist, was going away on leave, and so there was a common opportunity there. And obviously, having a bit of biology experience from uni, it was something that appealed to me, um, and probably a little bit of focus on beer quality as well. So. In a brewery, the microbiologist's role really is about being 
the last sort of gate, I suppose, the beer has to make it through before it can go out to, to be sold. So what I was basically doing is grabbing beer samples or wort samples at literally every part of the process. So from the brew house, from fermenters, from bright tanks, from finished packaged product, plating them out or getting them genetically tested and making sure there were no spoilage organisms in the beer was the primary one, primary one. And that was mainly from a off flavor or true to type sort of perspective rather than, you know, there was obviously a bit of food safety in there as well, but beer being um, a little bit safer with ethanol and pH, we don't have to stress too much about that, but it was mainly about making sure we weren't sending out spoiled beer or beer that's going to pop a can or a bottle um, or mm. taste gross in keg. Um, and we were basically checking um, for for microbes all the way through the process, um, which yeah tends to be reasonably time consuming. Um, if you're you know getting sort of twenty to thirty samples, you know a brew house that's doing 30, 35 brews a week um, and has twenty seven fermenters, <laughs> um, you know yeah, there's a lot. It's a lot. That's so, <laughs> a lot. Yeah, but basically um, I was that last gate before that beer was allowed to be released to the trade. Yeah, cool. Um, Make sure nothing. Nothing bad's growing in it. Yeah, awesome. And um, that kind of brings me to the next point. What beer do you drink? Because obviously you, you're you sitting there tasting and trying beer a fair bit. Is there a certain yep. type of beer that you drink both from a, um, a general standpoint as well as a brand or? Um, a brand less so, um, but pretty much any dark beer, a porter or a stout, I absolutely love. Even when it's a little warmer, I'll, I'll have okay. um, pretty happily. The other would be um, a really, really well-made lager. Um, they're really, really hard to make well. Um, so I think I really, really appreciate a, a really well-made lager. Um, but yeah, they're probably the two that jump out at me. But in terms of uh, any brand loyalty, I'm pretty happy to try anything from, you know, the biggest brewery out there. I'll happily have a Carlsberg or, um, yep. you know, a nice little little tidy craft lager out of the corner of somewhere. Awesome, awesome. And um you you finish up at, at Lion and Little Creatures and you go and take the job um, at Mismatch. Now, um, run me through the timing. Run me through the timing of, I know that Mismatch were, um, were, were part of an acquisition last year. Um, can you run me through the timing of, of how, how your role fitted into that process or whether it was before or after and, um, and what that process was like? I think um, it, was, it, it was pretty busy with acquisitions, say, you know, over the last... 12, 24 months up until probably six or seven months ago. And it's really quietened down in the space. Yep. So can you run me through the, um, if, if you were there, any culture shifts and, and all that type of thing? Yeah. So I, I probably came in a fair bit after that acquisition. I can't quite remember off the top of my head when the Mighty Craft one was. I think it was a little bit after the middle of the year or around the financial year. Yeah. I think it was about July, uh, July, July, August. It yeah. was all settled, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so I was still at Creatures until January, so I didn't get okay. to see much of that transition. I've heard a reasonable amount about it here, but um, I was at Lion when they purchased stone and wood, so I saw a little about So like you said, there was a lot of noise and a lot of action around that time. Um, yeah, definitely in the last six months of last year. Um, but I've pretty much walked into, in this role, a very, very familiar feeling situation to the one I walked out of, if that makes sense. So. Yeah. I think the six months leading up to when I started here um, probably provided a decent amount of time for people to adjust. And to be completely honest, from the sounds of things, there hasn't had to be a, a very large amount of adjustment from the production floor yeah, um, awesome. perspective. They've, it seems to have been quite seamless and they've done a really good job of um, you know, communicating 
any changes if there are pretty well and, and everyone seems pretty happy uh, I don't get the sense that um people are operating too differently to how they did um from a from a brewery point of view yeah cool and um uh who are you working for at at mismatch and, and kind of um how did they get started um so in terms of who i'd be working for do you mean so like you and and GM yeah, 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 yeah. So, so who, who, so um, if you can give us a bit of a background on who founded the business, and then, um, and then kind of, um, you know, where they, where they came from, and, and what the story. I know that it's not your story to tell, but I think that if you can give us a bit of an indication about the, yeah, um, sure. the story in general, that'd be awesome. Yeah, no worries. So yeah, so um, you and a Mark are the two that sort of have been remaining here, um, but are basically a group of people who are around. The, food and beverage industry in the hospitality industry found a mismatch in 2013. Um, and that was, um, you know, the brainchild of quite a few people, but Ewan was a big part of the, the brewing process or he really wanted to get on the kit. Um, so he was brewing and it was pretty much working on the basis of contract brewing at Big Shed and a few other breweries. Um, I think Hawkers and Brewpack got involved at some point um, to try and supply the volume. But um, so it started as really a brand that they wanted to push into hospitality venues. Um, you know, they didn't have their own home, if you like, or, or brewery that, that, that was their own. They were, they were brewing out of um, Beachhead mainly under contract. Um, Ewan went and, and got a qualification overseas, came back and, and really started to push the beers a little bit further. Um, I think Archie's Red IPA was one that um, sort of struck a chord with a lot of people and, and brought mismatch to the forefront in their in their earlier years um and then in 2018 i'm pretty sure it was lot 100 open um champion independent beer at the indies in sydney i believe it was um, was the lager so mismatch probably started to get a little bit more of a reputation um for making really really consistently good beer um but it was only in 2018 so what's that five years later that um, it really got its own home up here in the hills um, with Lot 100 and actually having a dedicated brewery. Um, so, yeah, it's, and it's not the easy way to do it either. Um, contracting and, and trying to push volume out um, when you don't, don't own the kit is, is a big challenge. So, um, yeah, Ewan and the guys sort of worked through that um, up until this point. And then obviously the, um, the Mighty Craft acquisition last year happened and um, a few little structure changes. Ewan has probably transitioned out of a real production role or being super 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 hands-on um he's just wearing too many hats or was um mm. up over the new year so um that's kind of where i'd come in and, and tried to get as much of the production um under under my sort of umbrella if you like and, and allow him to do some of the more overarching big mighty craft stuff yeah awesome awesome and um where do you see um where do you see the I guess the the production trends going in beer. Obviously, you, you've you've you know, you've been in it long enough now. You've seen you've seen different beers and different levels of popularity throughout that process. Can you run me through what you've seen over the last kind of twenty four months and 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 any predictions that you've got? Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting. I think we're in you know, an interesting place, definitely in the low non alcohol category that that keeps growing and and sort of refuses to. Um, not make a fair bit of noise, if that makes any sense. I think it was something maybe people thought would be a little blip that, you know, we see and we, then we see it fade away. But if anything, that's just getting louder and louder every year. Um, I think a shift away from the big hoppy arms race that was probably happening 
just before or around when I started brewing where, you know, IPAs were just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and ABVs were going through the roof, bitterness was going through the roof. Um, you know, the guys like Pirate Life, they made their name on some really, really good hoppy pale ales. I think whilst people still appreciate them, I think there's now a little bit more of a focus on a little bit more balance maybe and a little bit um, more or sort of less hop, less bitterness and, and stuff like craft lagers are becoming very popular. And I think that's a little bit of maturity in the industry showing. It, um, it was funny to watch the trend maybe from a bigger brewery because all the things that maybe five, 10 years ago that got knocked being, you know, fairly light lager and, and easy drinking beers. Um, even the guys that were drinking big, crazy IPAs five years ago are now looking for something a little bit um, more easy to enjoy and a little bit more refreshing. I think the, um, I think the, you always got to look at the commerciality of, of the situation. And if, um, you know, I, I, the big hoppy IPAs, um, they're not for everyone, obviously. And then, but uh, your lagers are probably a much more, a much more um, uh, consumed beer, um, especially, yep. especially in Australia. So it's, it, it's interesting that you've got your, your kind of craft, craft beer set um, that obviously have grown up on, on those IPAs, but then you've got everyone else. Um, and obviously you probably want to make a, um, and, you know, the, the, there is an entry point that you, you have to find to everyone else at some point if you want to look at the commercials of, of, uh, of, of actually becoming really profitable. Absolutely. And I think the other difference is that there are, there are so many more big, big, small craft breweries, if you like, um, yep. now. And, and once you get to a certain size, you need to start tapping into a, another part of the market. You cannot rely on the 6% or whatever it might be that are into all those crazy beers. You need to start appealing to a broader audience or you, you literally just can't make enough leaders in the year to, to make yourself viable. So I think that's another thing we've seen in the last say decade is, you know, a craft brewery is no longer a tiny little 600 litre brew pub kit, um, you know, that services 150 local patrons um, over the weekend. It has become a much bigger part of the sort of overall beer industry. Um, and I think with that, comes a need to to appeal to a broader audience and to, to get more people drinking your beers and yeah really the the only sensible way to do that is to present something that's a little bit more approachable so i think some of the bigger craft breweries are, are sort of the beer independents are, are realizing that uh, even look at stone and wood pacific how what they sort of did with what is really quite an approachable beer um you know people just couldn't get enough of it um if that was a big seven percent hoppy ipa you know you'd be doing a hundredth of the volume. So yeah, I think part of it is out of necessity to remain viable if you want to be big and independent and craft. I think the um I think the I think independents now especially have almost got a second lifeline as well. The um the the most recent government legislation around the beer excise, I think for the you know for the kind of you know medium size um for those medium sized breweries that um, are starting to do really good volume, but the the excise tax just takes a you know takes a big chunk out of them. Um, I think for those for those type of businesses, for the ones that are small and all the rest of it, sure it's a little bit of extra cash flow, but it's not nothing too much. I think, but I think for at at volume where you're that independent uh, brewery that does volume, I think it's a really big help. And I think it's good. I think we're going to see um, some breweries that 
we're kind of thinking about, oh, is this a, you know, is this a good long-term view? I think some of those guys have got another lifeline and they're going to really um, excel and, 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 and poke their head out over the next little bit. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it, I hope that's the direction it takes. It's definitely a different beast when you're not relying on a tap room um, and making big margins on kegs, you know, over your own taps, you are, you're playing with the big guys and um, yeah, every little cent counts when you're competing with, with, yes. you know, Lion and, and CUB because they can afford to do things on a cents per litre basis much, much more cheaply. And probably the thing that I think people are starting to realise as well is the quality does not have to suffer with those volumes. You know, little creatures can make 26 million litres of beer a year that is of exceptional quality just because they're making a lot of it um, doesn't mean that corners have been cut. So ultimately for the, the smaller independents, they need to compete both at a price point, but also with the knowledge that their beer might not necessarily be technically better. Um, and, that's and a real the, challenge. Yeah, and the and the infrastructure that the infrastructure that um, that other big guys can 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 put into into pubs and that type of thing is uh, is just far exceeds anything you can do as a as a small or medium sized sized brewer. So you Absolutely. really do you really do have to win on on the quality, don't you? I mean, prices. Yep. Price, you're probably never going to be able to truly compete with the bigger guys. I, I wouldn't have thought, but so quality has to be exceptional, and yep. uh, you obviously have to be really competitive on price. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hard gig, but there's, um, but there's obviously some people doing it really well. Yeah, absolutely for sure. Um, mate, last thing, um, for yourself, um, you've obviously had a really good start to your career. How, how old are you? Uh, 29. 29. 29. You've, and you've obviously, yeah, I mean, it's an exceptional, exceptional um, 20s, which is, which is <laughs> awesome. Um, yep. Obviously, you, you want to stick it at, um, at, at mismatch for a while now. Um, where, do you see, where do you see yourself going, um, you know, career-wise in, in, in beer? Would you ever want to travel with, with it or, or anything like that? Or, or, or do you love the Australian, Australian brewing industry? Yeah, um, I've thought about that a lot. I thought about whether travel would ever sneak into my career, whether it was short term or long term. I think when I was with someone like Lion, where you did have breweries, you know, whether it was brew pubs in Singapore or now New Belgium in the US, that that seemed to to me like it would be on the cards if if I'd stuck around there for a little while. Um, where I am now, I'm obviously um, only three four months in and, and really really happy here. Um, I can see myself sticking around and. And I would like this role to probably be my career-defining role, if, if um, for, for lack of a better term. I'd mm-hmm. like this to be the one that I look back on spending, you know, a really good amount of time here, um, defining myself as a brewer, as a head brewer, um, and also helping sort of shape the industry here. Um, I think realistically for me, the industry in Australia has so much potential and there's, there's so much growth still here that I think it's a really exciting time to be a brewer in Australia. Um, and I have full intentions of, of being a part of that for, for the foreseeable future, for sure, for, for a long time, I hope. So, um, yeah, a little bit of travel here and there would be lovely, um, but I don't think I'd really be eyeing up too much of a long-term thing anymore. Um, yeah, I think Australia is a pretty pretty good place to be, um, and in this role especially, I feel like I've got the resources and the people around me to be able to really achieve a lot of things here. Um, and, yeah, that's that's really an exciting sort of, it's it's almost nice to have this last five years done all of that growing um, and probably jumping around more than I thought I would. Um, but it, it feels nice to be in a place now where I am, where I'm at a brewery that makes technically great beer 
um, with really, really good people around me and a really good support network um, in the form of both you and, and Mighty Craft as a general. That, net, that network is really, really good and something I'm used to coming from Lion. Yeah, um, awesome. So to be able to tap into that and really um, push mismatch as far as we can push it in the next five, 10 years, um, that's something I'm pretty excited to do. Yeah, awesome. The um, the limitations I think are only as only only um, only there as far as industry size is concerned. I think that the fact that craft accounts for probably eight or nine percent of 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 beer in in Australia just shows the if you can if we can increase that by two percent or three yeah. percent, there's your there's your growth and everyone everyone joins in on that growth. So I think really the the whole industry should be pushing towards getting the education up and around about, you know, independent beer and, and about, you know, that, that kind of story about, about getting back to, you know, where it came from, who the people behind the beer are and all that type of thing. I think all of that's got a lot of value. And yeah. I, I, I think that a lot of breweries tell that story really well, but I think they can do it so much better. Some of them can do it so much better. And I think that's where that two or three, 4% comes from. I think it's from um, people feeling connected to their local um, their local brewery or people feeling connected to that story. I think it's really Absolutely. important. Yeah, definitely. I think that story and it's something some craft brewers are so, so good at. And it, when we were talking about sort of price point and quality, that's probably the biggest differentiator is that story and having a connection to that story. You know, instead of just being another brand, you know, what do you represent for your local community? Um, and that can be, you know, that can even be your regional community. I think Mismatch has done a good job of championing SA in general rather than necessarily being a hyper-local thing. And I think there's, that's, like you said, where the, the next 2 to 4% can come from is really connecting with people um, through your story, through your brand and, and what you're sort of standing for. And I think it's important to probably stand for something um, and at least want to share your story and, um, have some sort of personality rather than just trying to put forward a brand to people. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of headroom here uh, in terms of in terms of growth. Mate, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. No, no worries. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, Tom Wood from Mismatch Brewing, guys. Thanks.